What's up, makers? Welcome to MakerCast, a podcast about the inner work of creatives from all walks in all places. I am your host, Morgan Smith, and this is episode 10. Okay, so today on the show, I am speaking with Lauren Cooley, founder of Pieces by Lauren, The Art of Adornment. I first met Lauren at Mudlake Studios slash Northwest Trading Post while I was practicing pottery. She had a small shop set up in there selling her handmade jewelry and vintage clothing and art and furniture. I was really... um, impressed when I first met Lauren with the amount of um, honesty and candidacy she brought to every interaction that we had. She always seemed willing to just um, share um, from the heart. And it was this um, forthcomingness that inspired me to reach out to her and ask for an interview. Um, As has been my track record, my introductory prompt was was very long-winded. And so I'll just um, kind of set the stage here. I, I asked Lauren um, kind of to start as far back as she'd be willing to go. Um, and she, she obliged, as usual, by beginning um, her story and her journey of creativity at age four. So without further ado, uh, here's my conversation with Lauren of Pieces by Lauren. Enjoy. When I was four and my sister was seven, my family left the United States on a 42-foot sailboat to go sailing. Um, Pretty much, we circumnavigated the Southern Hemisphere for like an undisclosed amount of time. Just like we were going sailing. My dad's a sailor. And he like convinced my mom to do this epic trip. So we, you know, left school and left our house and left our dog and all the things. And, um we lived on a sailboat and you know, there was times where we would be sailing from point A to point B and it would be a large passage taking like, you know, two weeks of not seeing land. And when you have children, (laughs) you have to do something with them to to keep them, to keep them entertained. And now that I'm a mom, I can envision the struggle that my mom had and dad is mostly on my mom though. That's just kind of the way it was in my family. Um, of like what the hell to do with these kids (laughs) like I just I cannot fathom what she went through so she you know that she had all sorts of like art projects and like a surprise box and like my sister and I liked to do like crafty things so it was like always making something um yeah but specifically she bought and I'll have to ask her if she bought them prior or she bought them on like the trip but she ended up having a bunch of seed beads like those little teeny baby beads that you can make like jewelry with and my sister and I would like sit at the kitchen table on this boat and just like make bracelets and anklets all the time <laughs> like wear them and give them away and like just bedazzled with jewelry all the time um and I loved it I loved it so much I could just like it was a patient I was a patient kid in many ways so I could sit there for like hours and bead these teeny weeny beads and during that time it was like something about like seeing another kid like wearing a bunch of like bracelets or something. Cause a lot of, I feel like a lot of like 
the I like island life kids like always had like bright colors and like you'd almost like have like an identity piece of like oh you must be like a little bit like me even if you don't look like me or speak like me or whatnot right we have this visual thing in common so it was just like the activity of it but also like I liked wearing bright colors I liked mm-hmm. picking out things to wear like I always like wanted to pick my own clothes and like a jewelry is such an adornment piece like it is a way to kind of like present yourself um, without saying anything. And I think I knew that early on, like even as a little kid, you know, the same with even like my um, need or want to vintage shop. Like mm-hmm. I would like treasure hunt on the beach, just like combing the beaches, mm-hmm. like back and forth and back and forth and f- looking in the sand for like something cool, something hidden, something undiscovered. <laughs> like yeah. Even as a little kid and that same feeling is so present for me. Like every time I want to go, to an estate sale, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to find? Like, what's going to be there? What's yeah. the treasure? Yeah. <laughs> I got to go find it. <laughs> so that was like, you know, if that was four years old. But the weird thing is with me is I didn't make jewelry. Then when we came home and I was six, like, I don't remember making jewelry again until I was 23, which is so uh-huh. weird to me. I don't know why that happened. I was an athlete. So I started playing soccer when I was six and played, you know, club and high school varsity, the whole thing, like all the way through 18 constantly year round. Like, I guess maybe that's why I was just so focused on that other activity. I don't, I don't remember being very creative. Like I liked, I liked art projects. I liked coming up with like crafts and stuff, but I was never like taught. I never took a, like a class to teach me, which is frustrating when I look back, I wish I would have. And then I started making jewelry randomly. So I went after high or after college, I got my bachelor's in psychology and I decided in January before I graduated, I just knew that I, I wasn't fitting in with my hometown anymore. Like I wasn't feeling good. I felt very, very uncomfortable and like almost like to the point of like a depression or an anxiety. Like I just couldn't live there anymore. It was like, I was looking around going like, what is, what is going on here? I don't, I don't feel good here. I lived in orange County. So like you can imagine mm-hmm. some reasons why maybe like just a lot of inauthent- inauthenticity, like mm-hmm. money is everything. <laughs> like people were just fake. Yeah. And I did not like that. Um, so I decided to go traveling and I started saving my money and I graduated and I moved in with my grandma and I like worked all the jobs and save, save, saved. And then in a year, the next January I left and I went traveling with a group in New Zealand and Australia for eight weeks. Wow. And then I stayed in Australia by myself, um, traveling a little bit more. And then I went to Hawaii for a couple of weeks to just like figure out what I wanted to do. And I was like considering trying to like, like find a boat that needed someone to work on. I was just like a mess, you know, like I didn't have any plan. I was like, if someone will take me, I will go. (laughs) And then I decided to go back to Central America because that's, I I really like Central America. So I went to Guatemala and, you know, took some Spanish classes, worked in a couple hostels, started making jewelry in Guatemala actually. Mm. Um, and there's like really cool bead stores in Central America and great supplies. And, um, I was making things in the hostels that I would work at. They would let me sell them at their like, you know, front desk, which was cool. So I was making some money to keep traveling. And then I went to Nicaragua and then Costa Rica was my final place. That's where I wanted to end up. And I lived in Costa Rica for like three or four months And I was like selling jewelry and doing hair wraps on the beach and working at hotels. But like I would be selling, I was selling $150 a day of just jewelry and hair wraps. (laughs) Wow. 
<laughs> it was crazy. Um, That's amazing. I know. I look back. I'm like, that was actual real money just being made, like living a hippie life on the beach. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Which just like, yeah, it cracks me up now to like look back and be like, wow. So that like in Costa Rica, when I was like starting to make that amount of money, I'm like, damn, like I'm, I'm making money. Like, and this is so fun. Yeah. Like I'm just live. Yeah. I'm doing exactly what I want every day and I'm, I'm making enough money. So when I went back to the States, I kept making jewelry at that point mm-hmm. and kind of kept experimenting. And I did get my first like out of college real job, you know, quote unquote, doing prevention programs for juvenile court services. And I was working 40 hours a week and like doing the thing, but I was making jewelry like for fun for me. And that's like the first time that jewelry became more of, it was such a balance to the work that I was doing because it was like, you know, it's in, it's, it was intense work. It was, it much, it got much more intense as I progressed through my career with working with kids and families. But that first job, I was young. I was 24. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I was working with low risk, but high risk populations, like kind of like pretending I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. So I would come home like super tired and just kind of spent, but making jewelry is a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. It's introverted you know, it's beautiful, it's colors, it's just making pretty things. And that is such a de-stressor for me that I've always used it as a counterbalance to like any high intensity work that I've done. That's the first time that jewelry became like a mental health tool. And that served me, that has served me like my whole life because up until Wilder was born two years ago, I was working in these extraordinarily like stressful, emotionally taxing, somewhat depressing work environments. And then I would come home and be able to make jewelry and it would like save, save my mental health, basically. Started doing my first markets in Seattle. Um, nice. There's a great market uh, in one of the neighborhoods that I lived in. And I think I was, I know I was doing AmeriCorps. That's what it was. And you don't make any money. (laughs) Timeline wise, that's probably when I did my first market because I was like, I need some money and loved it. Like absolutely loved that experience. Hmm. And then quickly realized I needed to start supplementing my jewelry with vintage to like make my booth look more well-rounded. So that scenario just kept on for like years, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I would be working my job and then I'd be doing, you know, 10 or 15 hours of jewelry a week just for me, not necessarily even for the money, but just because I liked it and wanted to keep doing it and not have piles of jewelry at my house. So tried selling it. I like did, you know, little home jewelry parties. Like I would do them at my house or go to people's houses and like whatever way I could to just get, get people to know about it. Cause I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. like Instagram wasn't a thing at that point. I don't think, or I wasn't using it. And then speaking of Instagram, it's so funny because once I started using Instagram, (laughs) I got more real about my business, but I just got more customers. You know, I was able to expand my customer base, which um, is really hard to do without like, you know, serious marketing and like, how does a small business market without free marketing? I don't know. I don't know what the answer would be. Instagram's just been a really good tool for me for free, broad marketing. 
I was wanting to go part-time after working 40 hours a week. Like in Seattle, I was working um, at a high school called Rainier Beach High School. And it was, you know, in like when I got the job, (laughs) (laughs) Seattle's the biggest school district in Washington. It's very diverse as far as its offerings, as far as its student population, as far as like its socioeconomic breakdown, like everything is so diverse. And I got hired. They hired a bunch of us for a truancy position. There was like 15 of us because it was a brand new position. And I got called and they're like, we'd love to offer you the job at Rainier Beach High School. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> really? Rainier, Rainier Beach, huh? Like the one up north isn't available. <laughs> and the reason I said that <laughs> is because <laughs> there's like Rainier Beach is like one of, is the toughest high school in Seattle. Like I can't even say one of the toughest. Like th- it's the toughest comprehensive high school in Seattle. And wow. it's, it's in a very tough neighborhood, a very tough student population. I think at the time it was like, there was five white kids in the school out of 500 kids. Wow. It was just, I, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Like I, I knew I could do it. I knew I could do it. I wasn't, I wasn't naive and I wasn't at that point I had experience. I knew, I knew some things and I had experience working with very challenging students and doing a good job at it. I, w- I, w- I was always good at it. But I, I went and I did it and it was, it was the most, you want to talk about an experience that has made me who I am? <laughs> like, I only worked there, unfortunately, for a year and a half because yeah. we ended up moving to Portland and it, it was by far one of my favorite jobs, but it was one of, it was like a job that you come home and you just, you just cry, you know, yeah. you, you cry because you're tired. You cry because you don't know if you're good enough. You cry because you, you know, I had one of the PTA presidents, um, she just hated me. Mm. She just hated me from the first day. And she hated me because I was a young white female and didn't belong in that school. And she had a point in, in many ways she had a point, but you know, um, the, the shitty part was that I was working my ass off and doing a damn good job and making a difference. (laughs) And that, that was just the truth. And she was just awful. Um, but it was a good experience as a white person, I mean, I don't think it's almost, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that as white people, we rarely get to have the experience where we're the minority. Yeah, that's true. It, I mean, most, I would say, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's statistics on this, but I would say like 90% of white people in America have never had an experience where they're like so significantly like the, the minority, like in a room, in a situation, in anything. Right. And it's a really amazing experience like it's for me it was a constantly profound experience um a very humbling experience a very eye-opening experience a very challenge so challenging yes just to know how to in how do like how do i act in this situation how do i be in this situation how do i like present in this situation mm-hmm. and then finally like having the realization that this is other people's daily reality like damn that that's that in and of itself is a challenge to life, just to feel that way every day. Yeah. So that, you know, that's definitely not um, as far as my professional work jewelry goes, but as far as growth as a human, like yeah. that experience was huge yeah. and I feel really thankful for it. Yeah. You know, half of the people they hired were black. They could have easily put them at that school, but for some reason, you know, like they chose very typically you know typical like neighbor next door white lauren yeah. to go to this school <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and I, I'm like, thank God they did because I am a better human because of it. And I, I think I did. I worked with a lot of students there, but there was a couple that, you know, you don't really get to ever know if you did a good job, mm-hmm. which is frustrating in, in work like that. Yeah. But there was a couple kids that uh, I'm still in contact with. And like, I feel, I know I did a good job. Yeah. I know like, had I not been the one hired at that school, like they, their story could look a lot different than it looks now. That's right. So that's like comforting. I, I, I like when we get to know something <laughs> about the outcome of our work. <laughs> so then, yeah, we moved to Portland because Seattle was getting crazy expensive and things like that. And we were going to end up trying to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I got a 20 hour a week job um, doing similar work with um, like dropout prevention, high risk kids in ninth grade. And I, I also loved that position a lot, but 20 hours a week allowed me to really like put more time into jewelry. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot better, I think in, and I started using um, social media at the same time. So it kind of went together. Nice. Um, my business kind of like, you know, it grew a lot. I started doing the Portland flea every month and just gaining a ton of like real customers you know repeat customers who would come see me every month Mm -hmm. and tell their friends and wear their jewelry and like i started to see things take off and then like you know at markets i was making 500 uh, you know a market let's say in seattle and then in portland i was like starting to do like 1500 or 2000 in a in a single market day okay like i can do this (laughs) like this is you can, I can make a living doing this. Um, but it was never my intention to go full time. So when I got pregnant, I was still working 20 hours a week and they, my school called me in my third trimester (laughs) (laughs) in like a couple weeks before we were supposed to go back to school and told me your position's still available, but it's only available as a 40 hour a week position. So you either need to take it or we can find you a new job. We just don't know what it would be like wow fuck you guys (laughs) i was already three years in you know i would like had put in time and i just you know the no negotiation just like too bad and i was commuting an hour each way to work so at that point i decided like i'm not i'm not gonna put this baby whoever this baby's gonna be in daycare at three months yeah like i just we weren't in a position where i had to do that i didn't feel good about doing that i didn't want to do that so i quit right when my maternity leave was done, which felt so weird because I, you know, I have been doing that kind of work for like 10, 11 years at that point. Right. And it, you know, it's, it's something that fills my cup in a way that nothing else has. And I'm good at it. It's like, in some ways I feel like it's what I'm meant to do. Um, and then there's this other aspect, like where I make jewelry and it fills my cup yeah. and I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, put as much time and effort into my business then as possible while, you know, being a full-time stay at home mom. And it, it, it went well. It, it was, you know, it was doing pretty good. I was still making money. I was able to watch my kid and like all the things, but my intention was always to go back, you know, and work with kids. Mm-hmm. So we moved to bend a year and a half ago while there was like 10 months and I started looking for a job immediately. Like I need a job. I want to work with kids. Da, da, da. And like, I just couldn't find a job, Morgan. Like mm. I could not find a job. There's hardly any jobs here that are in line with what I want to do yeah. because it's a small town ish compared. The population is, you know, not as demographically, I guess, high risk as, you know, urban school districts would sure. um, support. And then the pay is just like, you know, I, I, I've gotten to the point making jewelry where I'm making enough money that I will not go work your $14 an hour job. I'm just not going to do it. I, you know, like I, you're never going to get paid enough to do that kind of work, but like 
seeing $14 an hour attached to some of these jobs. I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. I might've done that without a kid or whatnot, but like, I don't have time for that these days. Totally. <laughs> I had an interview. I didn't get the job, which was a very difficult experience because if I get an interview, I usually get the job like nine and a half out of 10 times. Right. So I had an interview and I was like, epically qualified and I didn't get it. And it was like soul crushing. Cause that was like one of my first experiences of like, wow, what the heck? How, how, how did I not get that? Right. And then I applied for a job that I had been waiting for, for like, since we moved here, I knew that was the job I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it finally opened it. We were here for like a year before it opened and I didn't even get an interview. Wow. And that was like a huge turning point. I was like, I'm fucking done. Like I'm fucking done. I'm not applying for these jobs. Like I cannot, like, I don't know what else. I'm not even going to like call them and ask them what I could work on right. because I can't, whatever answer they're going to give me, I'm just going to die inside. It's, it's balls to the wall with pieces by Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear just, you know, I know it's so visual, but if you could talk a little bit about both your jewelry and where you draw your inspiration, it feels to me like you're living a dream. And part of that is because of the success that you've had. I mean, the stories of selling hair wraps on the beach and then, you know, jumping from 500 at a market to 15 to two in a day. I mean, this is the dream that a lot of people don't get to actualize, but I am curious, you know, not only about the the, the inspiration that you draw for, for your creations, but also if you have additional dreams on top of, not necessarily ambitions, if you want to go there, that's fine, but also just dreams about your life moving forward. That can be as a, as a parent, but, but more specifically as a, as a creative and just sort of where does your heart start to sing when you go there in your mind? I really don't know. This is, this is a terrible answer. I don't know how I get my inspiration. I know I make a lot of colorful stuff. I make a lot of big, bold stuff. I make, I get a lot of feedback that my stuff looks like it's from like inspired by like, I don't know, travels to other countries or something, but not necessarily to countries I've been. <laughs> so it's like, I think as a little girl being exposed to, you know, all these different styles, all these different colors, colors specifically, patterns like we spent a lot of time in like you know um like tahiti fiji and there's a lot of like you know tribal patterns and things like that my dad was always wearing like bright um not a skirt but like a wrap i don't know what they're called but they're always like beautiful you know like these like big bold patterns and colors and like i love those like specifically those things my dad wore like i would like just want to like stare at him and touch him and like <laughs> I just loved him. Lauren, do you have any <laughs> stories about either your dad or your mom that kind of exemplify your upbringing and sort of the characters that they were? Because obviously they influenced you because they're your parents. Can you just give me a quick story about one of them that sort of exemplifies their character? <laughs> I mean, it depends. My <laughs> Tell me the truth. My dad is an adventurer. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think because one story is only like, you know, like it's like it would take 10 stories to give like a holistic picture. Um, but I mean, I can tell you, my dad is a bigger character than my mom. Um, uh, he's very bold. Yeah. He, you know, he was the guy, he would be 
not the obnoxious loud guy, but like you would know that he was there. He had opinions. He's outspoken. He's an adventurer. He's, he owned his own business my whole life. Um, so he's like a boss man. Mm -hmm. He's like the guy that knows everything about everything. And you know, he was tough in many ways. Mm. Um, it was tough sometimes, he was so good in some, so many ways, like mm-hmm. super supportive, went to all my soccer games, was my soccer coach, you know, like took us on adventures, made a point to like have us travel, mm-hmm. made a point to make us think like he would not, he would not allow us to be dumb. Like we had to think about problems. We had to give an opinion. Um, we ate dinner as a family every night growing up. That was like for sure a thing, but he was really tough in many ways, very mm-hmm. like black and white in many ways. Yeah. Um, you can do this. You cannot do this. There was no like teaching about certain things. Like, I went to Catholic school for 12 years and like the mantra at home was like, you don't drink, you don't do drugs, you don't have sex. There was never a conversation about like, if you want to, here's what you could do. Here's what you could talk to us about. It was just like, you don't do it. His discipline is like the best (laughs) story I think of who he is because two stories, my sister snuck out in high school and she got caught. And I remember she came home and like, I woke up because there was a lot of yelling. She lived, we had one bedroom upstairs and the rest of the bedrooms were downstairs. And my sister had her like own really nice bedroom. That was the upstairs one. Yeah. And it was definitely like a privilege because all of us wanted to be up there. Right, right. <laughs> my dad stood at the top of the stairs and just threw her shit onto the floor below, just piles, whatever he could grab. He just threw all of her shit on the floor and said, you're not living in this room anymore. You can live in the living room. You can live in the dining room. I don't care where you live, but you're not living in this room until like we decide that you're back in this room. Clearly you can't be trusted to live in this room no more. So Mm -hmm. she, you know, she slept in the living room for like, I don't know, a month maybe before she was allowed to live back in her room. So he's really smart because the punishment matched the crime, but he's so, it's so intense, you know, it's so intense. intense. That's quite an image. Well, and then I have my own story of the same thing. And it's like, my dad was smart though. So I was like 16 or 17 and I had a boyfriend and we were home alone after school. Definitely in my bedroom, definitely having sex. And my dad came home from work early and I heard the key turn and it was just like scramble time because I knew I would be dead. I knew my boyfriend would absolutely be dead Yeah, and locked the bedroom door to at least buy some time. And my dad came straight there because he saw the you know, my boyfriend's car out front banging on the door, open the fucking door. I'm like, no, Whoa. <laughs> no, I think at that point, this is like so classic. It's like a movie. I think the first words out of my mouth were, we weren't doing anything, <laughs> 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 which is so just classic teenage response. It is. Um, so finally, you know, let him in. He kicked the boyfriend out. It's like a st- whole scary situation. Yeah. And I-, I had to go to work or something. Thank God. And I came home and my, I had two doors. It was like double doors and they were both off the hinges, like in the garage. And I didn't have doors on my room for shoot. I think like three months. Wow. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's that guy. He does not mess around. Um, but he's also like one of the smartest, you know, most, uh, like smartest in a way. Like, I don't know how to describe it. He's very, he inspires me. Like I trust him. I call him for advice all the time. Same with my mom. Um, but my mom was like the soft one, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But they've always been like so supportive. My mom, my mom, she was, she's not, she married when she was 20. So she, she never really got to know who she was. Mm -hmm. And that was very clear in their marriage, um, is still very clear in their marriage. And, but she always, it's my sister and I are such strong women and, you know, we we're both successful in our own way. We're very like 
if we're in a room, you, you, you know, you know, we're there too, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, we're not meek. Yeah. And my mom could be described as meek sometimes, but mm. when I, she would, she made us into like these women that are very different than her. Mm. And like when I was in, I was in seventh grade and I had a, this is all like, I'm telling you like these stories that probably make me sound terrible, but I was, <laughs> I was in seventh grade at my Catholic school and my eighth grade boyfriend and I got caught kissing behind the handball courts that my dad built. <laughs> and that was a big no, no for a variety of reasons. Yes. And they, um, and my boyfriend was, I don't know. He was dark brown skin. He got in a lot of trouble. I think he got suspended and I did not get in a lot of trouble. I, they were trying to figure out what to do with me. And even then I can remember in seventh grade, be like, so why? Like we both were kissing each other. Right. Why am I not getting in that much trouble? And this kid who, you know, in my head, even then I was like, he has brown skin and he's a boy. Like, why is he getting in so much trouble? This is not fair. I should be getting in the same amount of trouble. Yeah. So then they tried to get me in trouble or something thing and i said is this really against the rules like i didn't know that we couldn't kiss at school and they're like well you should have known i'm like well how, how should i have known like where's the rule show me the handbook like i'd like to see it and it turned out like there was nothing in the handbook about not being able to kiss your boyfriend <laughs> at school <laughs> and so my mom to her credit was like you know what my daughter's right like you know there's there is nothing prohibiting this. Maybe, maybe I should talk to her at home as a mom, <laughs> like, but you can't, you shouldn't be getting any, either of these kids in trouble until you've added it to the handbook. And the, sure enough, they added it to the handbook, but she's like, she was that type of mom that was like, yeah, I'm going to like support you and, and do this with you. Let's do it. I gave my parents a real run for their money. It's uh, they earned their keep there. One thing that I've always gone back and forth with myself, like I'm, we all do this and I spoke to this. It's like, you know, we, we do this thing where like, I should be this way. I'm this way, but I should be this way. There's a better way and I should be this better way. And like my way is not good enough, blah, 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 blah. And it, for me, I have a few of those, um, probably more than a few, but I, I, I do a pretty good job of like working out that way of thinking and into a better way of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, like, I cannot see things in my head as far as, like, I don't have a design in my head and then I make it happen. Everything I make, like, is made as it's happening. <laughs> like, 98% of the time, I do not have a plan. Once in a while, a design will pop into my head, totally random. Like, and it's usually on a walk and I usually don't have a pen and a paper and I usually tell myself to remember it and I usually forget. Once in a while, I can, like, jot it down and then I'll actually work that way, like from design on paper to design in real life. But more or less, like, and clay is even a better example of this. Like when I go to make something out of the polymer clay, nine times out of 10, I have no idea what even, what even colors I'm going to use. And so it's this whole thing, <laughs> which is not always efficient, but I actually, I really enjoy it. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. Because then it's, everything's a surprise. It comes back to like that surprise piece of like, I like surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just, it's not the best business plan because if I make something that people really like I can't always recreate it because I'm not taking notes I'm not taking color notes I'm not taking mixing notes I'm not like it's just whatever happens happens hmm. and that's good and bad mm -hmm. um, I'm good at like 
spatial relations. So like what shapes look good in what orientation, what size goes with what size, like what colors are complementary. I'm like good at that, but only if I like have them in my hands and like mm -hmm. get to like mess around with them and like go back and forth and be like, I'm just need to tweak that and move this here. Like I'm going to flip that one upside down but I have to do it and see it right in front of me. I can't, I can't see it in my head. And some people have that like incredible ability to like see things in their head. I just, I, it has to be in front of me, which is polymer clay is great though. Cause I know what shapes I like. I know what shapes I like to play with. I know like I, I have that sense of like, yes, this is going to be good, but I don't, always like even know how they're going to go together. So I'll just like cut everything out in a variety of different shapes. Then after it's done, then I'm messing around with shape combinations. So it's really, I don't think a lot of people work like that, <laughs> but I just, you know, I see all these artists with like sketchbooks. I'm like, huh, what's right. that like? <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of that. I like, I like, I, I wish, I wish that could work sometimes, mm -hmm. but then the part that the, you know, the part of me that's like, no, it's okay. I'm like, my system works for me though. Like, and it's, I have fun doing it. I think it's really fun. Um, so it's not a problem. It's just that I do it differently than some people. And that's that. Like, that's the end of the story. It doesn't have to be like this, like, I should, I should, I should, I should. And I, I you know, I should be more organized is a huge one for me. I should be more organized. I'm very messy. Mm -hmm. Not in my personal life, but in making, I'm a freaking just mess. It's so messy. Nothing's organized. And I think it's because of the way that I work. Like, if I don't have a plan, then like literally everything's on the table. <laughs> anything could happen right. <laughs> so then everything's literally on the table <laughs> where does the should voice come from the should voice yeah i think i've always and i know what you're gonna say in response to this but it is true so i've always like had a tough time accepting myself as creative or as a maker mm. I mean, even describing my jewelry has always been a struggle for me mm -hmm. because I don't know how to say it. I'm like, well, do I make it? I don't make the metal. I'm making the design based upon like components. I'm wire wrapping the jewelry. I might like, you know, hammer something here. I might hammer something there. But like, because I'm not make cutting the metal, stamping the metal, you know, mm -hmm. drilling the metal, like all of those things, I've always struggled so hard with like, am I even a maker? Like, am I even creative? This is silly. Like I never even had language for like how to describe my jewelry line. Mm. And it's always been like a place where I feel a lot less than other people who make things because I feel like I don't, because I feel like I don't. Mm. And like, I'm not, I'm not this person that um, can call themselves creative, mm. which I mean, I've, I've gone back and forth on that like a million times and I still do. I haven't completely like made peace with it, but like in the end, I don't know if it really matters because in the end it makes me happy to quote unquote, make it. Mm. I enjoy it. It brings me joy and it brings other people joy. Yes. Like people like to wear it. They like to buy it. They like to support me. So I don't know if the other piece really matters that much, but it's one of those like sticking points for me. Mm -hmm. That's always just been like, you know, challenging, which Clay's alleviated some of that, like working with polymer clay because I can say I really made it, you know, but it, I don't know. It's such a, it's such a mind, like a mind fuck in a way. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I had a comment that somebody said a comment to me the other day about like anyone could make my jewelry. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, like, anyone could make my jewelry. They could put pieces together, but like, 
I don't think that anyone could make the my jewelry the way that I make it. Like my style is unique mm -hmm. and like that's that's my gift of like making something that's unique and beautiful. So I don't think that anyone can make it. <laughs> like they might make a version of it, but it's not going to it's not going to look like mine because for some reason like there's so much overlap in jewelry, it's very hard to be unique. But I've always had an ability to be like pretty unique, like to try to keep it just different enough from other people. Mm -hmm. Um but you know like that comment's really a big comment like that speaks to my insecurities about like mm -hmm. wow anyone probably could do that hmm. uh, what what like there's nothing special about what i do hmm. that kind of thing yeah that's hard yeah i'm sure there's a version of like you know that struggle with like anyone who makes something it might not be that exact you know voice in the head sort of thing but that's not a, a mindset or a culture that I want to be like a part of or cultivate. Like I want people to be able to like make whatever they can make, like make a card, hand draw a card. That's a homemade card. Like that's fun. You, you did something like whatever expression of creativity you're called to do. I don't think we need to be like breaking it down by what percentage is like authentically handmade or whatever handcrafted. It's like, See, you know, it's just not the way it's going to go. We can't all handcraft every single aspect of every single thing. And, you know, the truth is my jewelry brings me a lot of joy and I, I will do it no, no matter what. I will, you know, I would probably make it no matter what. But also, like, I want to be successful. I want to make money. Yep. So there's a fine line of, like, my price point is a very easy price point. Mm -hmm. And I'm also still paying myself enough. It's a good business model as far as what I have going on. Yeah it definitely would change quite a bit if I was making 100% of every single piece of jewelry. That would be a very different business model as far as price point goes. There's just real life sometimes, like you gotta make money too. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been great to hear your journey and to hear your voice in the in the midst of these socially isolated times. I know. It was really nice. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to see your face one day. makers, Michaelia Morgan here speaking to you from Fall River Estates, Oregon, where I am currently babying Charente melon seeds in hopes that they will germinate. MakerCast was recorded and produced a half an hour from me in beautiful Bend, Oregon. Also, music for this episode can be found in the show notes. Say, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of this fabulous podcast, you may do so by going to patreon.com forward slash MakerCast. Thank you for listening, and I'll be listening with you on the next episode. We still have like a couple of... Um you know, vegetable options and like yes. a handful of strawberries left. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm down to like roasted carrots again. Yeah, totally. It's like a lot of cauliflower and Brussels sprouts. Yeah, totally, <laughs> like, totally. Yeah, Brussels potatoes. sprouts last forever. <laughs> they really yeah. do. They really do. <laughs>